it's really easy to tell ourselves that we can't make a difference and that these problems are just so big. And so I feel like there's basically like two alternatives. One is take a tiny step and keep moving in a direction or give up. And so if we can simplify and find a place to start, it snowballs. I really think it kind of changes our cellular makeup every single time that we think about something that is feeding into this animal earth human triad. Mm -hmm. And it does change you. It changes you over time. It changes the people around you. It changes the situation by just doing one little thing at a time. Welcome to Sage Conversations, where we believe everyone has an innate light and power to heal. I am Michiko. And I'm Rowanna. We are wellness practitioners. Join us each week as we explore holistic healing, spiritual and personal growth journeys with experts, amateurs, and friends. Be inspired to foster your inner light and live your best life. Welcome to another episode of Sage Conversations. We are so excited to welcome Brandy Heidi Montague. She's someone who at a very young age already knew and felt so strongly about helping animals. And she also felt so strongly about making a difference for animal welfare and the sustainability of our environment. She's the founder of Four Animals for Earth, a resource hub for simple ideas that people can explore to help animals and the environment in their daily life. I love that it just breaks things down into just simple things. So within that hub, you can access her podcast, also called For Animals for Earth, a blog, an eco-conscious clothing line, lots of awesome stuff made out of recycled plastic and organic cotton. And lastly, the the animals. I know, they look so comfy too. The last thing that you can find on that hub, and this is one thing that I find so interesting because I've never heard of this before. Last episode, we had Celine Veloso, who's a master in Reiki practitioner. Brandy is also a Reiki practitioner, but she practices a special kind of Reiki, and that's animal Reiki, and she teaches that practice as well. So very curious about that. Hopefully we can get into that later as we bring her in. Welcome, Brandy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We were so excited and we're like, oh my gosh, someone's listening to us from California. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely love your show. You know, I told you guys, I think that it's like soul sisters across the pond, you know? I know. We feel like we know you already. Just like when we saw you, like, hey, Brandy. (laughs) And just looking through your work, your website, you know, got me really excited. And when you said soul sisters, like, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, let's go straight to it, right? So for Animals for Earth, people who may know you and also follow your podcast know your story when we've read about it, but maybe we can share also to our listeners today about how you even found this path or this purpose and even at an early age. I did. You know, my first, I guess, memory of wanting to help an animal was on my grandparents' farm. So I grew up in Indiana, way out in the country, teeny tiny small town. And my parents didn't farm, but my grandparents did. And so we would spend a lot of time on their farm and they were very 
deeply connected to the animals that they had there. They had pigs and they had cows. And I just remember being so excited after meals to take the food out and feed them. And then also being just a little perplexed by watching them like all climb on top of the food and, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing. And then, of course, being so young, I didn't really know what happens with the whole process. And so one day the truck came in and backed up and they were branding them, you know, with the hot iron, like as they were putting them on the truck. And I just remember thinking, what? Like, I didn't even understand where they were going. The whole process was just something I couldn't quite comprehend. And these are memories also so many years later of being three. So this is kind of like what I remember. But I remember being there on the farm and being so angry and confused and thinking, I need to help them, but I don't know what to do. And I don't understand what's happening. So I think that's my first memory of being How? a little bit confused by, yeah, like the human-animal relationship that we mostly And at had. three years old, how did your grandparents process that? Yeah. Do you remember? I do remember asking a lot of questions, and of my parents, too. And oh, your um, parents, yes. You know, my dad grew up on the farm and my dad talks about his experience growing up and how they had to actively desensitize from it you know, and he talks about the stories of what his parents had him kind of go through to desensitize from it. And it was just described to me as, you know, this is just the reality. And it's the way that life works. And it was a small family operation, you know, so it was nothing like the factory farming that's happening now. There was a lot of love, there was a lot of devotion to raising those animals. And the way they described it to me is like, this is just a fact of life. It's just the way it works. And And it's a business. It's a business, right? And that's how they live. That's how they made their money along with corn and soybeans, like in the fields. And eventually they ended up actually phasing the animals out because they couldn't make a living doing that because at least in the US factory farming kind of ate up everything, you know, it's just, they were able to do it so much more economically. And so, oh gosh, they closed the animal part of the farm probably well over 20 years ago. But But yes, three years old, it was such a gentle, vulnerable age. And for you at that age to be exposed to that, because yeah, it is life in the farm. But from that experience, you made a decision at three years old. I would say so. You know, at that point said, I'm never eating meat again, you know, (laughs) and my parents were kind of like, no, that's not happening. So I was the little girl growing up with 10 pieces of meat at every meal, put them on my plate. I was required to eat them. Some nights I was able to get it down easily. Other nights I remember sitting there watching the clock on the microwave turn to 11 p.m. and going, oh, like I just can't get it down. (laughs) You know, I did that kind of all through my young life. It never occurred to me that there was another option. I had heard of vegetarians, but I thought vegetarian was just like some crazy, like hippie person that's out hugging trees. And which, by the way, I 100% identify as now the crazy hippie person out hugging trees. That's totally me. But back then, it wasn't a concept that I was aware of. And then when I was 19, 
I did a study abroad program at Cambridge University in England. And that was around the time of, I think it was mad cow disease. And so they had a lot of vegetarian menus, just like full vegetarian menus in all of the restaurants. And that was the first I realized, oh, wow, like there's a way that I can eat that's not just ordering the side dishes off of the menu. I can actually have full meals and get really excited about them. And that was the first I ever even realized there was an option to be a vegetarian and eat full, flavorful, exciting meals, you know? So that's when I really, really stopped eating meat was when I was 19. It's amazing. It sounded like it was an accident. Like these days, it's more accessible. Those food options are more accessible. But back then, when you were 19, restaurants that offered plant-based meals as the main meal, if not as side dishes, were very scarce. But it was an accident or an event that made it possible for you to have that experience. So it's like you were guided along this path to help you with this advocacy. For sure. For sure. I mean, maybe we could all say that about our lives, you know, when you look backwards, yeah. when you're looking forwards, oh, it's a little bit hard to see it. Sure. <laughs> but when you look backwards, you could usually identify those different times, right? After that, I wanted to help animals, but I just really didn't, I don't know. It just never really was something that came to the forefront for me. I think I was just kind of like diligently going through school, working towards the corporate job, just wasn't really noticing there was another option. It never even occurred to me to be a veterinarian or something like that. I just never thought about it. So I would volunteer at the Humane Society and usually leave crying. You know, one time we left with a dog, my sister and I, you know, it's like, I'm so glad they're a little tighter on restrictions now before they let people leave with animals. But, you know, but so I did that all the way until my late 20s and wasn't really involved, but always felt this really strong pull that I wanted so badly to be involved in helping do something to help animals. But I don't know, it just didn't connect for me in my life. And then in my late 20s, when I was finishing up my thesis for my master's, I ended up working on a data model. So my master's is in engineering and like predictive analytics. And so I ended up working on a data model to help animal shelters work together to save more dog and cat lives. That took me about two years and just that really kind of yanked me in more because, you know, you're so buried in that research and you're just thinking there's got to be something I can do. That kind of pulled me into animal welfare more through that. Yeah, I know we talked about us being guided because like early on at a very young age, you already knew that somehow you had this strong connection to animals. And once again, that event when you were 19, when you were shown the possibilities of how you could care, but like it was still a journey of you figuring out like how you could actually put that into action. And before this call, I read somewhere that it wasn't a perfect journey like you being a founder today of For Animals for Earth, it wasn't all so easy, right? You had a lot of bumps on the road. So even though for someone who had such a clear feeling or connection to your advocacy, there are still challenges, of course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I am still well on my journey to figuring out how I can make the best difference that I can. 
you know, I still kind of have this dream of finding a PhD program where I could work with a university and somehow use my background to really make a difference with funding behind me. So it's like, that's my ultimate dream. But I am still well on a journey to figuring out how to best make a difference. And that's how Four Animals for Earth started, honestly. It was because over the past 10 years or so, I've been involved in a lot of different projects in different communities. And through that, I met so many people who are doing incredible things. And so I wanted to learn from them. And it was very similar to something you guys were saying earlier for why you started your podcast. You know, I started it because I wanted to learn and I wanted to see what's going on out there in the world. And I wanted to connect people together because you know that there's so many other people out there who are feeling these same passions and also mm -hmm. not sure what to do. So that's how yeah. Four Animals for Earth was born because honestly, I'm still on my journey. We just got started with our podcast, you know, as long as you're passionate about something, there's always something more that we can add on. And you're right, with what you're doing with Four Animals for Earth, with what we're doing, we're all just trying to share positive stories, share inspiration, because we know for sure that there are others out there who have the same passions, who just need a little nudge or inspiration to get things going or what we can offer through the platforms and the messages that we put out there are just the missing ingredient that they need to get to move forward. And something that really piqued my interest was how this is the merge of animals and earth. I mean, in the literal sense, because something that I always and continue to learn from Rowana is when we care for ourselves, we care for the earth and what's around us and vice versa. And then I think this is one of those unique things that you're doing, you're well on your path. I'm not sure how many people are working on it, but you are with animals and sustainability as well. Yeah, agreed. That's something that I also noticed is that in kind of the different circles that I was in. So one of the projects that I started over the 10 years was the clothing line to right. help yeah. various animal welfare groups. And when I did that, that was the first time those two things came together for me as well. I had not thought much about sustainability throughout my life. And I had spent so much time thinking about animals. And in this line, one of the very first things I made was a little set to help whales. And I was helping a group in Japan that does a lot of advocacy for whales. And while I was going through the process, I started researching where to get my clothing from. And that, of course, like once you open the can of worms around the fashion industry, it's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I can only imagine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like you go deep down like a dark hole, right? Because it's, it's, yeah, it's intense. But as I was doing that, I was reading about all the pollution as just one of the bad sides, right, of the fashion industry. And I thought, okay, here I'm making this thing and we're donating money to save whales. But like, depending on what I make, I'm dumping pollution into the ocean that is hurting them. And the two things, I was just like, it can't be separated. So for me, that was when I was first introduced to sustainability and taking care of the earth and being a good steward of the earth how deeply connected that is to helping animals and how deeply connected that is to 
our own human health, right? We're also symbiotically related. And I'm amazed how in some of the different circles I'm in, you don't hear that connection talked that much. You hear so much about animal welfare, but not about the earth and about the earth, Mm -hmm. but not about the animals. And then the whole human being piece. So yeah, yeah. they're all usually talked about separately and dealt with separately because I think on their own, the problems are quite huge already. That's the thing. So if you add on something and are connected to everything else that it's connected to, suddenly you're facing this huge giant challenge. I mean, there's still a way to break it down by seeing the bigger picture, by seeing how everything is symbiotically related and connected. Yeah, I agree. And that's why, you know, we really drilled into focusing on breaking every single thing we talk about down into something simple that we can try in our lives. Because you're right, like the problems, they're so big and so overwhelming. And it's really hard not to give up, you know? And for me too, like, Sometimes I'm full of inspiration and full of excitement and I'm like, yeah, you know, and then other times I look around and think, why am I trying so hard? (laughs) You know, and so again, it circles back around to Four Animals for Earth is just as much for me as it is for everybody else to keep me going and keep me inspired. I love that. And it's definitely the same for me with what I do because the space that I work in is really the personal health space, like as a health coach, but I tie it into environmental sustainability as well. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes we need those reminders because when it gets overwhelming, like it's another day, another set of problems to face, but you hold on to the reason why we're in this in the first place and to be part of that solution, even though we know that, you know, the problem is so huge. I mean, these are the biggest problems that our generation is facing, the current health state of our environment, the animals and our health but definitely holding on to our reasons why it's so important. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's why I flash back to that three-year-old memory so much because it does pull me back to say, I want to do something to help. And I do think, yeah, we all have that why in us, right? Like that's something that we've actually been having a lot of conversation about lately in my community is like, what is it within each of us that is our deep why that we can keep coming back to as an anchor to pick us back up? Absolutely. And Brandy, you mentioned a word and that's something that you always advocate about as well is how to keep it simple. So if you could break it down... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny how you ask that because so another story of my life is trying to make things simple because I am so long worded. (laughs) I think um, you and I are the same. We face the same challenges. (laughs) It's it's, it's hard to like narrow it down, right? But yeah, on the simplifying front, I think it's really easy to tell ourselves that we can't make a difference and that these problems are just so big. And so I feel like there's two alternatives. One is take a tiny step and keep moving in a direction, or the other is give up. And so I end up kind of like trying to just live on this side of take one tiny step at a time. And so if we can 
simplify and find just a place to start, you know, like trying vegan. I mean, that's being vegan is huge. You know, even just trying vegan, just trying like one meal a week, it can snowball. Veganish. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's it can me. snowball. <laughs> is it? That's, I mean, that's awesome because I feel like it snowballs, you know, because that awareness is popping in every time you have a meal that's vegan. I really think it kind of changes our cellular makeup every single time that we think about something that is feeding into this kind of animal earth human triad. Mm -hmm. And it does change you. It changes you over time. It changes the people around you. It changes the situation by just doing one little thing at a time, for sure. I absolutely agree with that. You know, Michiko was around when back in 20. 18, we were building my business, which we called Humble Market. And the reason why we called it that was just to focus on those tiny steps, humility, taking those small steps that would create a ripple effect in your communities. Even though the challenge that we're facing is so huge, you just have to start small, start simple, and then it's going to snowball. Definitely you just got to start somewhere, whether you are helping the animals or if you choose to be vegan for animal welfare or for environmental sustainability or for personal health, we're all going to converge somewhere and you are all working towards the same value, but just from different points because we're all very different anyways, but we just got to start somewhere. Yeah, you know, that's another point that I often try to bring up too, is that we are all so very unique, but there is something each of us can do. And to your point, we're all coming from different points and we're all kind of like molding and bringing change together. And I actually think our diversity and the uniqueness about what we can choose to do. Like not everyone is going to choose to be vegan, but someone else might be able to go pick up some trash that's laying out on the ground or whatever. I mean, there's thousands of ideas, right? And I think we actually are going to ultimately make a bigger difference by all doing different things, whatever speaks to us. Because yeah, it raises the collective and I think makes a bigger difference that way. Yeah. And one thing that I read, like in an article where you were interviewed, like one thing that you mentioned that is also another thing that's similar to how we do our business is how you just suspend judgment and how you're contributing to the collective consciousness and helping people have more compassion towards animals and the environment is just to not be so judgmental. Can you talk more about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, as you say that, I think that is one of the things that attracted me to you guys and your show too, because I got that sense through you. And I think that <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I really, really love it. And I don't know if it's like this all over the world. It's certainly like this in the United States right now. Things are very polarized and it's happening so easily on any subject, anything. People are picking a side and the other side is like near evil. You know what I mean? As soon as that judgment comes up, the wall comes up and people begin defending and there's no more open communication and there's no more creativity and imagination and idea generation happening because people feel like they need to defend themselves. And so I think for me, what I've seen over the years is that it's so easy to 
judge. And that happens inside of me too, you know, like it happens, but I really try hard to catch myself and say, no, like, I don't know their circumstances. I don't know what's going on in their life. Like, I don't have any business judging what's right or wrong for that other person, but I can share what's right for me, what I feel passionate about. And I can kind of let that ripple out to the world and let it go. I don't need to have my hands in there trying to change all these other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah, think that and everything. Yeah. yeah. I love that you said like you just try to catch yourself because especially when we're so passionate about something and we're really fighting for what we believe in, sometimes unknowingly we just use that passion and turn into judgment towards others. So I think it's important to have that awareness and to be mindful of our actions and how we're spreading the message towards others. Are we judging them or are we just sharing ideas to contribute to the collective so that people can make the choice for themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's really hard to, yeah, we have to catch ourselves, right? It's like a constant growing and learning and practicing because yeah, when you're passionate, I mean, when I see animal cruelty, like, ooh, you know, like it is so hard. It's so hard to hold back. But I do think, I guess over my life, I just feel like I've seen things solved and changed better when people are willing to openly communicate and look for solutions because for animal cruelty, for instance, normally there are very few people who actually want to cruelly treat animals. I think most everyone wants to find a solution, but how do we come together to do that? And, you know, I say that I feel like I've seen that things tend to work better when there's a lot of open, honest communication. Um, but I, yeah. yeah, but I was gonna say, I also actually have seen people be really effective without the open, honest communication and with the like hardcore, like you are doing something wrong, you know? So I'm not against that tactic either. I just, either. for me, it works better to be just more in open communication. But yeah, again, this is like a whole other example, right? There's many tactics out there that work and whatever calls somebody, if it is kind of like the hardcore, yeah, anyway, I, I think there's, yeah, <laughs> there's a I got lot like your of point. Different. Whatever gets anyone's attention, right? Because I'm brought back to your experience when you were three years old. It is something that your grandparents had to do because it was their source of livelihood. So for a lot of the things that are happening in the world that are contributing to the problem, it's not because the people are mean. <laughs> it's not because the people are bad, but sometimes that's the best option that they can see in front of them. And by openly communicating, whether through dialogue or through activism, whatever puts the message out there, whatever puts ideas out there that could make people see more options than what's in front of them. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to say how even catching ourselves from judging others and also self-judgment, right? Oftentimes I'd be like, oh, I have my Tumblr today and then I'm thirsty, <laughs> but I can't buy a plastic bottle. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It's not just towards right. others, but like we're our worst critics sometimes. So we have to catch ourselves on the judgments that we label towards ourselves. Yeah, I, I've noticed that even in myself, I do think I am way harder on myself than I am on anyone else. And exactly. I, yeah, like how do we, 
Oh, 100%. Yes, we have to be easy on ourselves too and forgiveness um, because we don't live in a world that necessarily caters to making humans, animals, and the earth first. We don't necessarily live in that world. So we're trying to adjust to it. And yeah, it isn't always easy. Like the plastic bottles, I totally hear you. You know, you're dying of thirst and you're like, no, like I have to buy the bottle. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, so hard. it's so hard. But we are on a journey, right? All of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole collective that we were talking about. So it's a process for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And for those who are curious also with your work with Animal Reiki, can you walk us through that as well? Sure. Yeah. So I studied traditional Reiki and then my Reiki one teacher found an animal Reiki teacher and I thought, oh, wow, perfect. My world's coming together. I studied with Kathleen Prasad, who teaches a method called Let Animals Lead. And it's a little bit different than the way we would typically think of doing Reiki with animals. So, you know, when we practice Reiki with humans, we typically have hands on or just a little bit of space between the body and our hands. With animals, what she teaches is that you can absolutely do that, but you only do that after the animal comes to you and clearly wants you to put your hands on them. And so what it does is it opens up an opportunity to practice Reiki with wild animals, with pets, with ants, with ladybugs, with plants, you know, anybody. But what we do is we sit and go into the meditative state that anyone who practices Reiki is familiar with. You get grounded, you get connected to the earth, you connect to what's yeah. bigger and above us. But then you invite the animal to share that space with you. And what I have found is that most of the time, it'll feel like the energy bubble spreads out and mm -hmm. includes them, but it doesn't yeah. mean that they're curled up in my lap. And I have, you know, with my own dogs, sometimes with a couple of other people's dogs, they have jumped into my lap. And when they jump in your lap, you know, okay, they want to be right here, really close to the energy. I think the way my teacher describes it, which you may have heard this before, it's like a fire. And as humans, if there's a campfire, some of us, we want to be right there on top of it. And others of us, we want to sit back, you know, six to nine feet. That's the same thing with animals. So the way that I teach animal Reiki is to go through that process, like I described, invite them into the bubble and allow them to lead the session. And what's really incredible is that the more you practice doing this, the more you are able to pick up from the animals. And they have so much to share and so much wisdom. And I think, you know, a lot of times as humans, we somehow think we are above animals or something, but it's interesting because when you're in this shared space and you're equally there together, so many things come up through your intuition that you just know that animal is telling you. Wow. And it's a really Can magical experience. Yes. Like share an example. 
Yeah, of that light or something that, you know, came up to you. Came up? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it sounds like it would have to be fake, but I'll tell you the story because no. it's so ridiculous. But, um, it's, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> so there is a wildlife rescue and rehabilitation center in Central Florida, right next to Walt Disney World, called the Care Foundation. And I was there. And I was sharing Reiki with this huge old tortoise. And it was one of those moments where you could really feel the energy, like you could really feel the heat between us, but he was on one side of the fence and I was on the other. And I probably sat there for like, 10 to 15 minutes. And then he was making these sounds and absolutely looking at me. And he told me to slow down. And this is why I say that sounds so ridiculous because he's a tortoise and he's telling me to slow down. <laughs> <And I hear laughs> that's really like, cute. Okay, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Funny. I mean, and I didn't quite put those two things together until I was telling the story after and people are looking at me like, Okay. But, and I realized the way I was doing my meditation, I was doing a chant and in my head, I was doing it like, you know, like I was going so fast and I was like, oh yeah, okay, slow down, slow down, sink in. And it was obviously years ago and it's here with me today. And it's a message that I have to tell myself all the time because I am always like going, going, moving, moving, moving. And that will pop into my head and I'll remember just slow down, talk slower, breathe slower, you know, just move slower. And that makes life so much more enjoyable. So that was an experience I had. One. Yeah. Pretty, pretty funny. The old tortoise telling me to slow down, but you know, hey, it yeah, worked. No, it worked I mean, not... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, prior to my experience in energy healing myself, I would have thought that's like, oh, whoa. But with theta healing as well, we were taught to go up to the theta state and also ask creator to be able to communicate to the animals so, or plants even, right? So interesting. That's super yeah. interesting. And yeah, it's funny that the tortoise was the one who taught you to slow down. But, slow down. <laughs> but you know what? That's really how things work. Sometimes the most obvious things from what we know of a living thing, you know, sometimes the lessons that we learn from them are what we need. Like, for example, like being a health coach, like what I know from the food, like how you know intuitively what's good for you for example like round things are the ones that are good for the eyes you know that sort of thing oh, um, right. they're yeah. all so fascinating so i love that story it's a funny example but i mean i believe in it <laughs> i believe that's the message that you needed to hear from that tortoise but from your explanation of reiki my most favorite message from that was like seeing all of us as equal human beings as equal to animals and i think that's one thing that we often forget because going back to how everything in this world is connected to one another. And I think when we see ourselves as superior, like as at the top of the food chain or more superior to animals, that's when the abuse happens. That's when it's so easy for us to just take animal welfare for granted and value other things over their welfare. But there's so much wisdom that we can learn from the animals, from the earth, from everything around us. 
Yeah, you know, there absolutely is. And I think sometimes it's easy maybe as humans to think that they're not as smart as we are. They don't know what's happening or something along those lines. But it is amazing. That was something that hit me with the whales too. You know, they have such deep communication. You know, it's just, we don't understand it, but they mm-hmm. have their own ways of operating as a society like we do. And You know, it's funny. I really loved this example. There was a man who was recently on my podcast. His episode hasn't gone live yet. And he made a comment around this topic. And he said, you know, if the little bacteria inside of our bodies are surviving better than like we are as humans how are we the top of the food chain <laughs> you know like it was such that's an interesting point. point yeah and i was like it's so true yeah that's a good point about bacteria and yeah there's so much wisdom in the animal world and even if we just look at ourselves not 100% of communication is verbal like majority of communication is actually nonverbal and that's also how we communicate with other species and the animals and the earth but we're just not very sensitive to that just yet yeah right and animals i think are so sensitive to it we don't know that for sure but it certainly seems like they are so sensitive to all the nonverbal communication i'll tell you about another really cool program actually it's at that same place I mentioned Care Foundation, but there's something called the Catalyst. And there is a man who helps people come into close interaction with predator animals. And you can see how they react to your energy. And he teaches people how to bring their stress and their anxiety and their energy down through these interactions with these predator animals by reading and doing exactly what you were saying, sensing how that animal is reacting to you and then seeing how the animal settles down when your energy settles and how it gets more active when your energy goes up. And it's like such a tactical, cool way to see it. But absolutely. I mean, animals, I feel like are a little bit above us in that skill set, you know? We can definitely learn a lot from animals. And this modality to me is very fresh. Like this is the first time I'm hearing about this. And Michiko mentioned that there are a lot of animal lovers in our audience tonight. If it's the first time you're hearing about animal Reiki, look it up. It's quite fascinating. Yeah. You know, I actually ironically just did a podcast episode last week about this. Just a little short one. It's like less than 15 minutes. So if anybody wants to listen to that or there's a blog post that goes along with it with resources to help them learn because it's such a cool... I recommend it for everybody. And I think the other thing about this style is that my teacher calls it Reiki. That's why it's called Reiki. But you can be doing it totally separate from learning how to become a Reiki practitioner. It's something you can literally be practicing every day of your life, just sitting and meditating and inviting animals like big and small into the space without fully training as a Reiki practitioner. So it's definitely an easy thing to get started with if people are interested. Yes. So amazing that we can just practice that one. Yeah. And you know, it would be such a great way to bridge into becoming a Reiki practitioner too, because you're going to be practicing and honing those senses and those skills. 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, going back to our point earlier of everyone coming from different points <laughs> and just converging, right? Because we're all different. What is it that interests you the most? And maybe that's the good place to start. Maybe you're listening in right now and animal Reiki is calling out to you. <laughs> maybe this is the one for you to get you started on growing your compassion towards living things. Yeah. And how amazing if we're all practicing some sort of that whether we're all practicing meditation, we're all practicing healing, we're all practicing something that is connecting us together with the bigger picture. I mean, how amazing for the world, right? I mean, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm hopeful that we're going to get there. We are just raising the group consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, it makes me hopeful, like after finding you guys, you know what I mean? I think that um, there are people out there who are talking about this, but not enough maybe. (laughs) And so I think it really, it is really exciting and really heartening when you connect with people who are feeling this same thing. And I do think we all need to stick together and keep sharing because you're right. When I see you inspired and excited and hopeful about the future, it helps me to feel that way. Same here. I think Simon Sinek mentioned that in his podcast, where when you meet someone who's doing something like similar to your work, you feel connected right away. And I think that's exactly what you said. You know, we're connected like soul sisters, as you said already. (laughs) Yeah. So for anyone who resonates with Brandy's work and feel connected to what she's doing and want to check out more about her podcast, her blog, her clothing line, Animal Reiki, if you're interested in that, what's the website that they should go to to get in touch with you or to learn more about your work? Everything is at Four Animals for Earth. The website is fouranimalsforearth.com. You can get to everything there. There's even a start here section to get you going, but you'll see the podcast, you'll see the blog, you'll see the shop. And then underneath those things are a whole bunch of other things. So that's the easiest place. I'm on Instagram at Four Animals for Earth. If you want to actually talk to me, I think DMing me there is probably the easiest. You could email me at hello at fouranimalsforearth.com as well. But you know, sometimes email gets gets lost. So Instagram might be the best, but you can email me too. Yeah. Amazing. Lots of inspiring content on those pages. So guys do check them out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandy. It's been such a pleasure. I love this conversation. It's one of my passions. And so I love connecting with like-minded people. Yes. And I learned a lot. Thank you guys so much. You know, like I said, I am just so excited to be here and I was so excited leading up to this interview. You know, sometimes I feel nervous or whatever. And this time I was just so excited. Like I just can't (laughs) wait to meet you. can't wait to just be a part of these conversations because like you said, when you know you're operating on the same wavelength, it's just, oh my gosh, the energy is just so strong. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on and thank you for everybody who's joined. I'm really excited to just connect with all of you and hear from anybody who wants to connect for sure. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Sage Conversations. If you found some value from our content, share your thoughts with us on Instagram and Facebook and tag us at Sage Conversations Podcast. Please subscribe and share this podcast with people you know and love. Every bit will help us grow our circle. Once again, thank you so much. We love you. And until the next episode, trust your power and light within.